Welcome in to the first episode of the 2023 edition of R.J. Bell's Dream Preview Major League Baseball Podcast. I'm Scott Seidenberg, joined by Griffin Warner. You can catch us both at pregame.com. And Griffin, just thinking about where you were last season in Major League Baseball and looking forward to this season, how do you describe your feelings right now as we're about uh, less than a week away from opening day? Well, excited, especially excited to be with you, Scott, but also excited to see what comes of this year. A lot of rule changes, a lot of, uh, I don't know, players getting older, uh, UCLs getting ripped in the uh, spring trainings, unfortunately. Hopefully not anything too bad coming out of the World Baseball Classic, but we've already seen some of those injuries as well. Uh, but just looking forward to what will be a six, seven, what feels like eight-month grind maybe, uh, depending on how late the World Series goes. And uh, looking forward to it. You know, RJ asked me on the Dream Pod uh, last week. He goes, "How much baseball do you watch in a day or or over over a week?" And I said, "I don't know. Like, I can't. It's it's such a hard thing to describe because for me, baseball is always on in the background, and it's the perfect background sport because you can put it on your radio or on your TV, and no matter what time." you come back to it and give it your full attention, you always know what the situation is. You always know how many guys are on base, what's the score, how many hits the team has, how many uh, you know errors, strikeouts, the announcers fill you in. And so when I said probably six or seven hours a day I, I have baseball on, he was shocked, but I, I think that's normal. Uh I, I don't want to say my answer now then. Six to seven hours sounds not so bad. Yeah. I've uh, recently found the, the feature that allows you to rewatch things. So I'm basically, if I'm at home and it's baseball season, my TV is on. I got two actually right on top of each other. I'm not uh, I'm not sure I, I fixed the uh, the top one into the wall well enough. So that might become one at some point. It might be zero <laughs> if they crash into each other. But yeah, I mean, I'm pretty much, I try to start with the uh, the early Eastern games and then Get, pick a, a decent one on the uh, on the night slate, so I'm paying attention as much as possible. Usually, probably the Dodgers because they're the best team out west most of the time. But yeah, and then I mean, I gotta say, baseball is a great sport. You can catch up really fast. The summaries are good. Like I, I bet a lot of soccer. I do a soccer podcast for pregame, as probably a few of you listeners might know. But uh, unfortunately, there's almost no way to tell what happened in a match if if you're like just looking at a soccer box score. Baseball is different, and I love it for that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you enjoy the World Baseball Classic? I I did. Unfortunately, also against the running against the college basketball weekend was pretty tough. Uh, I did. I tuned in as much as I could. Watched a lot of the uh, the championship for sure. Um, feels like one of those events where I'm I'm not really throwing my pitchers out there. I'm saying no if they want to go out there, but good for the game, good for Shohei. And uh, finally, you got to play a, a meaningful game of baseball, which I'm not sure he's going to get for a while. Yeah, I, I love this tournament. I just don't like the timing of it. I, I think it would be better off if it followed the hockey model of having the world championships at the end of the professional season. And, you know, in hockey, it's like it, when your team's eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs, like you you can accept an invite and go play for your country. Like some guys, Ovechkin used to do it all the time. I mean, most yeah. most guys don't, but like a lot, some guys do. And I think if you had the World Baseball Classic in October into November, it would it would be tremendous. And the players can go all out and you would have maybe more players and some people would say you'd have less players because guys are you know tired after a season. But I don't know if the Yankees get eliminated. Maybe Aaron Judge plays in the World Baseball Classic as opposed to 
choosing not to because of spring training. Max Scherzer said it would be stupid for him to ramp up his throwing this early in spring training, and that's why he didn't pitch for Team USA. So uh, I, I just wish we could really truly get the best players, and I don't know if there's a timing that works out for us to get that ever. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's especially hard because, I mean, when I look at these, I mean, seeing Mike Trout out there when he barely plays half of a season, it feels yeah. like a year. I just like, I, I don't mean to be so negative on, on the Angels, but I feel like that's been like a, a, a get rich quick scheme for me for years and years and years. And it just always seems to pay off. Um, I just, you know, it's such a grind. And unfortunately, I play a lot of fantasy baseball myself, um, nerd alert, but when you see like these guys that are so good at the beginning of the season and then they just basically fall off a cliff in August, even if they're not injured, um, that's the hardest thing. I think baseball is such a grind to staying healthy that, you know, you ne- you never really know what pitch is thrown, what slider is going to screw something up. And, and I think that's the scariest part. I, I think I'm totally on board with you that there's not really a good time to play it. So I guess why not do it in spring training? Cause they're ramping up the season anyway, maybe. Well, this is what we can do, is we can learn from this World Baseball Classic. And we can look at the players that performed really well and project them to start out fast out of the gate. Look at Trey Turner. Trey Turner, arguably the best player for the United States during this World Baseball Classic, had the massive Grand Slam against Venezuela, followed it up with a home run in the championship game against Japan, and returns to the Phillies, and in his first spring training game, back from the World Baseball Classic, he homers again. (laughs) So when I look at Trey Turner and I look at his odds, which have decreased now to win the National League uh, Most Valuable Player, I think he's an excellent candidate, just based on Forget about his just based on the World Baseball Classic, but what we know of Trey Turner over the past several years. Yeah, I mean Trey. I mean he. I'm actually speaking of fantasy, and I'm not trying to make this a fantasy show, but uh, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very into Trey Turner. Got a lot of him on a couple keeper league teams, so I am very happy to hear that and uh, hoping to keep it up. I mean, speaking of like guys that are made of glass, I feel like most of Trey Turner's career, it's been really hard to know when he's going to be available, but. Uh, love the move. Love him going to Philly as well. I mean, I'm not sure that there's a better place for a right-handed hitter than, than potentially in, in that division and that place. So um, I'm expecting a, a huge run from him this year, and, and maybe the Phillies can can capture some of that mag- magic from last year. Well, I, I was on a show last night, and someone asked me, and by the way, Trey Turner's odds now, he's 9-1 to one to win the National League Most Valuable Player. He was 12-1. to one during the World Baseball Classic. So people seeing his performances Mm. and have bet on him immediately. Uh, But someone asked me last night who would be my, not long shot, but a good value pick to win the World Series or to win maybe just their league. And I said, why aren't more people looking at the reigning National League champion? And that's the Phillies. And this lineup, when Bryce Harper returns, is absolutely stacked between Turner, Real Muto, Kyle Schwarber, and Castellanos, and Harper returning. It's a ridiculous lineup. Well, on Thursday, as we record this podcast, the Phillies suffered a setback as Reese Hoskins went down in their spring training game in what looked like to be a pretty serious non-contact knee injury. If Hoskins misses significant time, and I'm not going to speculate, I'm not a doctor, I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, (laughs) but... Looking at that injury, I think he's out for the entire season. So without Hoskins, do you still have hopes the Phillies could maintain for the first half of the season before they get Bryce Harper back? 
I mean, they're still pretty deep. Uh, Reese Hoskins, Hoskins is one of the most difficult players for me in Major League Baseball, I must say. He, uh, I swear, strike, strikes out every time I need him and homers every time I uh, am against him. But uh, I try to put that to the side a fair amount. I mean, the run last year, I feel like, was very unexpected based on um, at least what they did during the regular season, I thought. Uh, seeing Derek Hall filling in for him definitely is a concern. Not sure that he'll actually hit cleanup the way roster resource currently has him plugged in. But I mean, I feel like if there's anything that the Phillies can withstand, it's, it's a power hitter going down. I mean, it might mean that they're a little bit limited f- until Harper is back or, uh, but I also feel like Trey Turner is going to change that team quite a bit. Gonna, they're going to get a lot more fastballs. He's going to steal a ton of bases with a new base setup plus mm-hmm. rules with holding the ball and all that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it might be a setback and, and certainly doesn't seem like there's a lot to replace him in that uh, in that organization. But maybe you can actually get Nick Castellanos playing first base or something like that and getting him out of right field because uh, he basically admitted on national TV he doesn't really try that much when he's in the, <laughs> during the regular season in the outfield. Yeah, did you see that story? There was a story last year about how the Phillies used, like um... – the the advanced analytics and their stat casted for lack of you know measurements of Castellanos's defense to put him in the better positions because there was a story that they determined he can't go to the right you know like he he just can't but he's incredibly good at coming in on the ball to his left so they position him so far off the line in right field that essentially on ev- almost every ball that's hit, he has to come in and to his left, and that maximizes his fielding potential. I mean, baseball is the sport where, uh, I mean, I, I feel like analytics was the first thing that came in there. You got all the money ball, even though the athletics never seemed to win anything. Hey, 20 um, straight wins. Come on. I mean, that was nice. Yeah, that, that was cool in like 2004. Or maybe before that, but I think actually definitely before that. But I just, you know, not all of us are Ambi Turners. We learned that from uh, Zoolander, I think, back in the day. I think he couldn't go left. But, uh, you know, I think Castellanos, maybe maybe he's learned a little bit uh, also that maybe you should try in the regular season. And that might actually impact his team positively. Who else are you looking at as far as a futures bet in the National League? So NL... I mean, when you look at the Braves and the Dodgers as the top two teams, I feel like the Padres also up there. I mean, big run last year. Well, the Padres, the Padres have seven um, shortstops, so you know. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I feel like there is a lot of. I mean, I've seen it in college basketball where you see a team make the NCAA tournament, get a couple upset wins, and then I expect them to be really good the next year. Um, I feel like I'm trying a little bit this year to pump the brakes on being interested in the Phillies and the Padres, also based on how long those seasons were and how that impacts the arms that are used. I mean, I feel like the Phillies had to flip-flop Zach Wheeler, not really because they wanted to Mm -hmm, in the playoffs mm -hmm. last year, um, pretty much because he wasn't healthy enough. And I feel like that's a concern for me. Hard to really pinpoint that or say what it's going to mean in the beginning of the season, but I feel like long-term that might be an impact. I mean, I, I was really interested in the San Francisco Giants last year. I thought I was really disappointed. In what they put together, I'm more of if I'm looking at futures, I'm kind of a long shot guy, I'll admit. So um, that's generally where I'm trying to look as someone that might have some value, especially because 
the playoffs just to me in general seem like such an like a, a wide open shot. The problem is when you look at the the San Francisco Giants lineup, it doesn't really say much. So mm-hmm. You really got to say, okay, are they going to win really tight games like they had played for so long in that park until they made some alterations and then all of a sudden people were hitting home runs there. So, I mean, I'm still kind of I think circling the drain a little bit to see who's a little bit outside the maybe the norm of, of kind of who everyone's picking. Are you basically because you brought up the Phillies? Is that is that your your thought? Yeah, the Phillies at nine to one to win the National League was was my thought. It's been my thought uh, all along here. Um, the Mets would be for me uh, the the play. They're plus four seventy five, but losing Edwin Diaz, I really need to know who's closing games for them um, because those are important outs. And I, I I'm also very curious with closers and, and this you know talking about the new rules and stuff how the pitch clock is going to affect closers. You know, close games in the ninth inning when they, you know, like to settle in and and ponder what pitch they're going to throw and get on the same page with their catcher. Now you have to hurry up with the pitch clock. I'm very curious how it affects closers. And if the Mets have somebody that's not used to closing, going to be their new closer, uh, I, I'm a little concerned there with the Mets. Yeah, I don't blame you. I feel like it's going to be, unfortunately, a feeling out process um, mm-hmm. from the beginning of the year. I feel like the guys with six pitches, like a U Darvish, might have some trouble with that clock as well. Um, I, I don't know really what that's going to look like. And I feel like, unfortunately, it's one of those things where we could probably make some money if you're right about how guessing on how that's going to affect certain pitchers. Uh, but I also feel like it might go the other way and you might pick on someone or bet someone that might have real, real trouble with it. It doesn't really show up in spring training because everything's a lot more um, easygoing and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But once you really get in there, the stats matter, and you're worried about the, your next contract, your next contract's next contract, that you're all of a sudden under the gun and, and things might uh, feel a little bit squishy at that point. Yeah. So if you look at um, like Baseball Savant or, or Statcast has uh, on uh, yeah on Baseball Savant, they have pitcher tempo, right? And so you look at, oh, well, which pitchers took the most time in between pitches? And for the most part, it's all closers. Giovanni Giovanni Gallegos, the slowest in Major League Baseball, right, for the Cardinals. Then it's Araldis Chapman, uh, Kenley Jansen, Joe Kelly, Kyle Finnegan, Hunter Strickland, Emilio Pagan. Uh, You know, it's it's like it's almost all Ryan Presley. It's Alex Colomay. It's almost all closers. Craig Kimbrell that are the slowest tempo in Major League Baseball last season as far as time in between pitches. So the, it's you look at those players and they, they possibly could be affected. Yeah, I mean, and God forbid, I, not that I need any more antacid like in my closet or, or cupboard for closer's end of game. I feel <laughs> yeah. like that's only going to make it matters a lot worse. And uh, But I got to say, I feel like I've also turned into a bullpen handicapper because I think it's the most important part of any game. But um, well, between you and I, then we sh- between you and I, then we should crush uh, this Major League Baseball season because I'm a first five guy. So if, uh, okay. I, so if I'm a first five guy and you're a bullpen guy, we can just combine our powers Voltron style and just dominate a full game. I like it. I, I will say it does force me to take the blown saves even more personally, though, I got to say, because <laughs> that's something I'm usually handicapping as hard as I possibly can. Like, yeah, I realize that, unfortunately, if you're down five runs from a starting pitcher issue, then there's not much you can do there. But for the most part, the uh, – I'm trying to bet the the better closer, better bullpen situation, more rest, all that sort of stuff. 
handicapping who worked the last two days versus the one day or who's willing to do three in a row if the game really matters a lot. So uh, I think that's why you come to this podcast, get the, the first five from, from Scott and I'll, I'll work on whatever the next five would be or however many innings we're playing, depending on ghost runners and such. Love it. Let's go over to the American League. And I wanted to pick like a long shot team and I haven't made an official pick yet, but mm. I can't get away from the Astros. And I'll tell you why. And yes, losing Altuve for you know a month or two with the broken thumb uh, that he suffered in, in the World Baseball Classic, that'll absolutely hurt them a little bit. But, well, first off, uh, Jeremy Pena looks absolutely jacked uh, compared to last season when he was, oh, the World Series MVP. I gave that out, by the way, on pregame.com. Uh, Jeremy Pena, yeah. the World Series MVP. Nice cash there. Um, but if you look at players that are or that were most hurt by the shift last year. Two of the top 10 batters in Major League Baseball that grounded or hit into the most outs into the shift last year, Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Now, I'm not saying that out of the 70 or 80 outs that they hit into the shift last year that all of them are going to result in hits now, but can I conservatively say give each player 15 to 20 more hits this season on top of their already ridiculous stats that they put up last year. I think Kyle Tucker is going to be better. Jordan Alvarez to me is a sneaky American league, not sneaky. He's he, to me, he's my American league MVP. And I think the Astros even losing Verlander are still going to be right there in the thick of things. I mean, to me, they were, and I had a great playoffs a lot because I just, I, mean, I don't think it's blindly. I don't think it's a fair way to say it. I just rode the Astros as long as I could. I felt like they were so much better than the teams they were playing. weren't really given the the credit or respect. I felt like they deserved. Um, Framber Valdez is just so reliable. I mean, he he's not going to wow you with incredible things, but he will wow you with his incredible quality start streaks. Um, I do think the AL West is a tough division. I got to say, I think the the Rangers. I, I'm talking to you live from Dallas, Texas today. And, and I got to say, there's a lot of uh, hype on the Rangers around here about how much they've tried to rebuild their team. Uh, I'm not sure I'm a buyer of them just yet, but I think the Mariners are also going to be a really tough type of situation. And then you got the Trout and Otani combo. Um, and we'll see if that ever, I mean, strikes gold eventually. Uh, someday it probably will unless before they retire. So I think it's a tough division. I think if, if we're looking for, a long shot that I'm generally trying to stick to. Um, I think the Mariners at 10 to one is, is my interest in the American league. Uh, I just really think that they, it's really hard being in the same division with the Astros. And I think it's going to really matter who wins that division to make sure that they can avoid the ridiculously stacked uh, playoff schedule and itinerary of all those sort of things. But I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready just yet to say the Mariners win this division, but I think they certainly have a shot. Uh, and we'll see what the impact of the injury of Jose Altuve does to the Astros. I still think they're probably the best team in the division. But with the odds, I think the Mariners are my, are my pick for the American League. You brought up the Texas Rangers. So let me ask you your thoughts on a potential. And, and, and it's I guess it's a fairly long shot. The potential of a Corey Seager MVP ticket. Mm. Well, when I'm thinking about MVPs, you need to obviously have a great season, stay healthy, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like it's so team dependent. Um, like how many MVPs are really 
from 500 teams or teams that barely make the playoffs. I feel like a lot of the time it's from yeah, the best player, best team, you know, like I, I think if you're that bullish on the Rangers, I feel like one of my like lifelong Ranger friends is he's, he's the biggest bull I know on them. But uh, certainly if, if that's you, I'm sure he would love listening to this podcast even more. <laughs> um, but I, I think ultimately that seems to be how it goes. You you got to be at least in the race for maybe the the one seed in your in your league, and then who knows what happens in the playoffs. But um, I mean, it's po- it's possible. I, I just feel like it's a really tough division, and I feel like if someone's running away with it somewhere else in the Central, which seems like it's always weak, or or maybe in the East someone plays really well like the Yankees did for the first 100 games last season. Um, it's going to be tough to get through one of those. But, I mean, I also feel like Shohei Otani should win the MVP every year based on his value. Yes, well, that, that's – Aaron Judge last well, year. Well, yeah, if Aaron Judge doesn't hit 62 home runs, he's not the MVP. Uh, yes, right. Otani is the, – the, the, that's the thing. Otani's the MVP every single year, so you almost have to, like, make a rule and just say, all right, we're only going to vote for Otani for Cy Young for pitching or MVP for hitting. We cannot take both into the equation for the MVP because it's not fair because literally no one does what he does. And technically, if you're going to say valuable player, there's no more valuable player on earth than Shohei Otani. And he should win it every single year. To me, then, I got to say, Scott, like, what are we doing? It should be his award every year. It's not even close. I mean, to me, it's, I mean, there are people bet on this stuff. Like, I don't, after Otani didn't win it last year, I don't know how you bet him again. Because, like, what's he going to do? The same thing and someone else is going to outdo him because they stole 150 bases? Like, come on, Billy Hamilton? Like, what are we doing? I agree. I I agree. Um, So what about the Cy Young Award? Have you looked at the Cy Young Award yet? And do you have any thoughts there? So last, thank you for bringing up the Cy Young Award. I feel like last year, I mean, this is my chance to gloat. I did put out Justin Verlander 25 to 1 as the Cy Young Award winner. So that was awesome. I I probably should say that loudly, that it's very unlikely I hit on this one this year, I got to say. I don't know, like, what we just talked about, like, how, how do I not pick a Shohei Otani? You know, I, I mean, it, it, to me, it seems like he is the one and the only that I'd want to pick. And I'm seeing 12 to one odds on him. Mm-hmm. Um, DeGrom's hurt all the time. Garrett Cole is good, but really had a tough end of last year. And, you know, to me, I feel like while I'm looking for long shots on teams for futures, I feel like there's only a certain level of Cy Young award. Certainly some come out of left field and, and do really well, but Ah, uh, man. I mean, certainly, and, and I just said it, Framber Valdez. I mean, I just don't think his stats will be there. So give me Shohei Otani when he's like the eighth eighth highest or eighth most likely of Cy Young Award winners. I just feel like people should recognize that he should win everything. You know, I had a uh, ripped up ticket last year Ooh. on Shane McClanahan to mm. win the American League Cy Young. And there was a time where I thought this thing looked pretty good, <laughs> but then McClanahan fell off. I might go back to him again. I, I think his stuff is just ridiculous. And uh, he's at 12-1 to 1 to win the American League Cy Young. Um, so there's a guy I would look at. Over in the National League, you know, Sandy Alcantara really dominated last season, and no one came close so that you could say that, oh, he should have a Cy Young, you know, season. But there was a time when I gave out on uh, on pregame or on the dream pre- uh, preview, I said Zach Gowan to be the Cy Young. And mm. Gowan actually last year put up a really good season. He just didn't pitch enough. Um, and I think that, you know, if he 
has a, a, a full season doing what he did last year, which, you know, was a 2-5 ERA, um, you know, guy went 12-4 and four for the Diamondbacks. I mean, come on. But it seemed like he was in every – the Diamondbacks were in every single game that he pitched. He's at 11-1 to one right now to win the National League Cy Young. That's kind of like a long shot bet for me because I obviously want to stay away from the two Mets in Scherzer and Verlander. Um, it, but Ga- Gallon would be a long shot guy I'd look at. Uh, are you talking stay away from the Mets because they're likely to split votes if things yes. go well? Is that yes. What you mean? Yes. Yeah. I don't like. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't like voting teammates for uh, awards. Yeah. Yeah. I. I get that. I mean, and and who knows? Like, say the Mets win 110 games. Like, how do you even split that up? That's what I'm saying. So, like, what what yeah. are you what are you gonna do? Verlander go. Verlander goes 20 and six, and Scherzer goes 21 and nine. And we're going to be like, um, yeah, they're both one and two in the league in strikeouts and one and three in the league in ERA. Who are we voting for for the Cy Young? Come on. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I feel you. Like Zach Gallon stats were great last year. I feel like he had a, a rip in his UCL and didn't get it surgically repaired. And so everyone was like, no, 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 this guy can't do it. No, no, no. He's definitely going on the shelf at some point. But uh, I, I think especially with pitchers, it, your, your availability is the most important thing. And, and he seemed to be available way more than people expected. Uh, I feel like Zach Wheeler looked like he was really turning it on late in the year. I know we're basically a Phillies podcast at this point, <laughs> but um, I feel like he, it was tough because he kind of was so hot for a lot of the season and then dealt with some arm trouble, came back and kind of eased his way back in and then had such a great playoffs. Again, I said it earlier, I'm, I'm a little bit worried about these teams that went really far in last year's playoffs because I, I, I'm worried about how their arms bounce back, specifically at the pitcher position. Um, but he's not young. I think part of where I went with this Verlander thing last year is I figured coming off of a, a Cy Young, a lot of times, or excuse me, off of uh, Tommy John surgery, a lot of times you get a lot more velocity. He's not a young guy, so they're not exactly going to keep him like the, the training wheels on. Like I think you saw with McClanahan uh, up until last year and even still a little bit last year as well. Um, I, I think Zach Wheeler's my guy right now. I feel like he's going to throw really well. He's got, I mean, so, so much velocity and still can pitch off of that without a ton of other breaking pitches that he doesn't really even need. And when he's got them, he's really good. Uh, for a team that improved a lot, yeah, they're they're certainly dealing, dealing with some injuries. But uh, wouldn't be shocked if there's a big race for the AL, or excuse me, the NL East um, and that Zach Wheeler gets you done. Let's talk about the rookie of the year. Uh, I've already given out my official play. It is okay. in the American League. And I gave this out two weeks ago. It was nine to one odds. About a week ago, it was eight to one, still seven to one you could find out there. And this week, earlier this week, 550 and even plus 425 in spots. And that, and I still like it at six to one or seven to one if you can get it. And that is Masataka Yoshida, the Japanese import for the Boston Celtics. First off, he's not a rookie. This is the Ichiro syndrome. He is mm-hmm. 29 years old. He's a seven-year veteran of the Japanese league. Uh, the last five years, he's been on an absolute tear in Japan. A 332 batting average, 427 on base, 546 slugging, 973 OPS, averaging 22 home runs for, per year. And in the last three seasons, he has walked more than twice as he's striking as he's striking out. He has 210 walks in the last three years combined, only 96 strikeouts. So uh, you look at what he has done in Japan and his ability to play this game at a high level, not let the stress or 
fear or anything get to him because he's a veteran. And also, he just had an incredible World Baseball Classic. He set the record for the most runs driven in. He had that monster game-tying three-run home run in the seventh inning in their semifinal game against Mexico. And he is the talk of the town in Boston. I, I think he is still a good value. He is the second favorite now to win the American League Rookie of the Year. Masataka Yoshida of the Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with all those points. I, I do think that there's a lot of risk with rookies coming up, especially if they hadn't really had much seasoning in in uh, pro baseball, at least at the top highest level. Um, there's obviously there's some Chris Bryant's out there that get up there to the big leagues and just excel right away. Um, others really really struggle. Um, certainly good grab there. I'm seeing yeah for all the way down to four to one. So it's honestly it's it's falling fast. Um, I'm, I'm interested in Josh Young, uh, uh, the Rangers third baseman. Looks like he's going to hit middle of the order. And uh, I feel like that is um, he got some seasoning last year in, in the bigs. But ultimately, it's a little bit definitely, especially after hearing your your uh, your talk. I can't pick the same guy. Uh, I think I'm on your on your side with Yoshida. But uh, Josh Young had, had some great numbers in the minors, I think, look like a power hitter. And I feel like. I'm just not that interested in backing pitchers as rookie of the year because I feel like there's such a good chance that they're shut down early with innings restrictions, innings limits, or really just that a lot of those pitchers only go four innings at a time because that seems to me like the best way to keep them healthy going forward. So I think you definitely want to go for a hitter here. Um, certainly you got me very interested in Yoshida, especially as I do some fantasy drafts on Sunday. But uh, definitely I think Josh Young is up there as well, and we'll see if he can catch fire and see how long he hangs around with the Rangers, potentially putting up some big numbers in the heart of that lineup. Well, in the uh, National League, I am going to go with the pitcher, and uh, it's another Japanese import. It's Kodai Senga of the New York Mets. Uh, this guy has been touching 99, 100 miles per hour in spring training. He's got that wicked, whatever they call it, a goat ghost ball. They they call it whatever the, the Mets are, are calling this pitch. Uh, that, it's not a it's not a gyro ball like uh, Matsuzaka. No, it's like it, it, it's it's like a they call it the ghost fork ball is what they're calling it, and uh, it's just supposedly a devastating off speed pitch. Um, and it just has movement like something the Mets have, have not seen before. Remember watching uh, Mr. Big League and um, and, he, and he, he goes over to Japan and he strikes out like and he, he swings and miss and it's that pitch that he can't hit. It's called what is it like it's like Shuto, you know, and he can't hit that pitch. Well, I think major. I think this is what's going to happen. I think uh, major league players Shuto are going to have problems with Kodai Senga uh, for the New York Mets, and so much attention is going to be given to opposing teams going up against Verlander and Scherzer that when they have to face Senga, maybe the lineup's a little beaten up by that point. I mean, certainly being a rookie. I mean, I feel like you're cornering the market here with the the rookies that are actually not rookies. Um, and it makes me it makes it really hard for me to come up with anybody I gotta say. <laughs> um I, I I mean, don't have much to can't say I, I know the movie reference as much as you're referring to. I'm sorry to admit that. Oh, Tom Selleck, Mr. B- Mr. Baseball? Come on. Yeah, see that's the hard part. I, I feel like I only know Tom Selleck with a, a mustache and a, a like made for T or a TV show police officer. Yeah, Hawaii Five Out. No. And yeah, come on. So, I don't even know. Like Mr. Honestly, Mr. Mr. Baseball, he's like a a, a, a he's a famous Yankees first baseman and he he's basically gets traded to go play in Japan and yeah he has trouble adjusting but then he uh he enjoys it yeah I mean you know who, a, you know uh, who else you know who you know who else is in that movie as one of his teammates in Japan is um is Pedro Serrano 
Although he's not Pedro, okay. he's not Pedro Serrano then, but it's the actor right. Dennis Haysbert, you know, the from the uh, from the 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 Allstate commercials. But, I, yeah, I gotta say, unfortunately, I'm a I'm kind of a believer when I'm watching these these movies, TV shows. I want to at least have them be realistic. I know most TV shows are not, but the the fact that you could trade someone from the New York Yankees to the Japanese baseball league, yeah, you I, sold I, them, the Come on. Tigers or something like that. I just I don't know that that would throw me off a little bit. I gotta say. But uh, hey, you know, I mean, Hollywood—they do a ton of research. <laughs> All right, so you want to throw out a long shot rookie of the year? Yeah, you stay away? Here, here's my long shot. I don't love seeing Miguel Vargas uh, slated at the number eight hitter for the Dodgers, but mm-hmm. I also feel like I've been—I've been on him for a little while, waiting for him to finally get his shot. It looks like that's coming, and I feel like. I mean, seeing what else is in this lineup, there's a good chance that he climbs up that that order pretty fast. I feel like the Dodgers, I mean, they're, they seem to be the best team every year, um, despite their manager or in spite of their manager, who just puts them in bad positions that doesn't help them. But um, even though I feel like he's also just sitting there and letting uh, the GMs make calls to him during the game to tell him what to do. <laughs> uh, with that said, I think Miguel Vargas has shown in the minor leagues kind of a similar story to Josh Young where they hit really well and then – um, it's like one of those things we'll see how it goes in the bigs, but uh, I mean, watching his incredible plate discipline this, this spring where he just literally was tracking pitches the whole time and taking walks over and over again, refusing to swing, just watching pitches, which to me also mean if you're betting spring training, um, and you're watching a guy that's like refusing to swing that day, I don't know how you uh, sleep at night, but, um, that's my, that's my idea that he's kind of picking up from a really good lineup and potentially grows into a spot where he's hitting much higher in the lineup. I don't know if J.D. Martinez can sit in that five hole for all the season. So um, that's my pick. Miguel Vargas from the Dodgers. Well, there you have it. A uh, nice little season preview. And um, we will be with you twice a week, like I said. Uh, We'll get an episode out next week previewing opening day. And we'll have some picks for those games and set you up for the opening series of the 2023 Major League Baseball season. Griffin, where can the people find you on social? Oh, appreciate that. I also want to get a promo code out there because, um, you know, we're, we're trying to save everyone that's listening to us some money. Oh, yeah. Know? Um, we want to make you money, of course, following our picks, but uh gets you 20% off. Use MLB20. This code for the preseason pod. Um It's usually good for seven days from the podcast release. We're pretty much within seven days of the season, so you better get on this really quick. I'm sure it's good for Scott's other picks at pregame as well as my own, plus plenty of other great handicappers at the website. So make sure you get on pregame.com. Use the promo code MLB, Major League Baseball 20, for 20% off. Um, You can find me on on socials, the real underscore G Warner. I got to say, not my favorite of Twitter handles possible, but I I made it when I saw the real underscore Shaq, and I was like, okay, (laughs) might as well get this. Uh, unfortunately, Twitter then became this huge part where I spend most of my life and all the other handles I wanted to take were taken. So the real underscore G Warner, there's no fake ones out there, but the real underscore G Warner is where you can find me. He is the one and only, the real Griffin <laughs> Warner. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on air and be sure to head to pregame.com. Again, use that promo code MLB20. And if you're not a pregame.com member, what are you waiting for? Sign up. It's free. And when you sign up, you get a free $25 just for signing up. So just an added bonus there. We'll talk to you next time right here on RJ Bell's Dream Preview, Major League Baseball Edition.